Welcome to this latest edition of the Fundraising Radicals podcast. I'm your host, Craig Pollard. Today's conversation and dose of ideas and inspiration comes from Ezra Hirawani here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Ezra, alongside Rob and Ben, his colleagues, is a co-founder of the Maori Kaupapa business, Now Mai Ra, which is an alternative energy firm that is founded in Maori values and principles. They provide electricity to their customers and that enables them to support communities and the 130,000 families here in New Zealand who are living in power poverty. They've recently raised more than $600,000 from their community for their community. Ezra's work and impact led to him being recognized as the Kiwi Bank Young New Zealander of the Year. And he talks a little bit about how he stayed grounded following the sudden visibility that this brought. Every conversation I've ever had with Ez fills me with joy. His humility and authenticity shine through in every word. He's living proof that you don't have to change who you are and you don't ever have to compromise your values to be an effective leader and to secure the funding you need to turn your idea into impact. Now, today's episode is also an opportunity for you to learn some Te Reo Māori words. I will interrupt our conversation to share some of the meanings of the Te Reo phrases Ezra uses during our discussion. I hope you enjoy meeting Ezra today and that you are as inspired by his approach and his attitude as I am. Thank you so much for joining me here today, Ez. That's good to be here, brother. It's good to see you again. And yeah, just glad to um, get a chance to call it all again. So that's all good. So tell me about where were you born and raised, Ez? Um, I was born in the Hamilton Hospital only because there wasn't enough room in the inn for me down in Tukoro, where, I, where I'm from. Um, but you spent a bit of time in Tukoro. I think I got really sick when I was a baby, so parents shipped us up and we, we moved over to Perth, Western Australia. And so did my um Oh you were okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did primary schooling and, and that over there and then moved back home for high school and then yeah, kind of been on a bit of a ticky tour around the place since then. So yeah. So studying abroad and then coming back home, how was it sort of coming back to New Zealand? I think it really refreshed my, my view of home. You know, it's kinda of like um you don't realise how warm the bath is until you jump out sort of thing. And so I kind of got comfortable yeah, when I when I was at home and just taking a lot of things for granted that then when I moved away from it, I missed quite a bit. And so when I came home, I wanted to do more to learn about who I was, my whakapapa, you know, my heritage and all that kind of stuff, which I had access to growing up, but it didn't really click at the time. I, I realised when I was in China especially that I had a void in my life that I didn't know was there. And so it took me going away to realise I needed to come back and fill it. So, you know, it's a bit of a a recharged view or perspective going away from home and then coming back and seeing things a little bit differently. That's, yeah, that, that feels very familiar. As someone <laughs> who sort of spent uh, living in New Zealand now, it's just like, it, it does sort of, um, it does sharpen your, your view of home and, it, and that changes and evolves over time, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So tell me, because there's a lot of listeners who, who aren't based in New Zealand, what, what, is, a, what is a Maori kaupapa business? I mean, this is the question that Māori really have to define. The issue that I have in Aotearoa is 
Maori businesses aren't defined by Maori, which which is odd to me. And so we'll often be talking to people and they'll say, oh, you guys are actually a social enterprise. And we'll say, oh, no, we're, co- we're a couple of a Maori business. Um, and there might be similarities, but for us, we've never known ourselves to be a social enterprise. We didn't know what a social enterprise was until people started telling us that that's what we were. And this kind of getting getting other people to identify what a couple of Maori businesses or even what a Maori business is, is a, is a question I think needs to be discussed more by more Maori. Like, is a Maori business owned by Maori? Is a Maori business something that uses Maori principles to to go about their business? Um, is it someone who hires Maori? Because I mean, you could have like a a business that has no reflection of being related to Maori, but the owners are all Maori. You know, so it's kind of like what and and then is that a Maori owned business? And it's, yeah, so so then that's different to a kopapa. Maori-led business. In in our opinion, it's a business that's focused more around what it can give rather than what it can take. And how we do that is through multiple different ways. But it, if a business is focused more on what it can give and less of what it can take, I think that small sentence is the beginning of the conversation that needs to be had in defining what a co-popper-led business is. Because, uh, I mean, that, that's always the conversations that we have when we're making decisions, when we're trying to do hard things is what does this end up putting back into the homes of the people that we're trying to serve? And that way of thinking is largely different to other organisations that I've been a part of in my short career. But I think it's, yeah, so to answer the question, it's a, it's a tricky one because I'm not the one to define it, um, but I feel like it's it's very undefined and there's a conversation that needs to be had amongst more whānau Māori and, and even non-whānau Māori to define, you know, what, what that is exactly. I, I guess it's sort of, yeah, people trying to make sense of what you do because in some ways the, the principles of Nōmaira, and we'll talk a little bit about what you do in a moment, but that's traditionally been the role of the charity sector or the government, right? To what, what can you give? What can you put into people's homes and lives to make them better? So the fact that you're a, a commercial organization doing that and having that the center of all you do is, is disruptive in itself, but it's also super inspiring. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's crazy hearing all that stuff because, I mean, it is pretty cool what we're doing and we do really love it. But the stuff that we actually like, I think the entity side of things in Te Māori doesn't really matter. It's more around what you're doing and it just kind of fits in with everything else in the kind of the business sphere if that makes sense. So if you think about it from a marae perspective, when a marae needs to fix his roof, generally the marae will sell hangi and use the hangi to raise funds to then. Yeah. And then you think of like whānau Māori who, or a lot of whānau do this, but I know from personal experience that when I was playing sport and I needed to go on a sports trip, we would sell hangi or we would sell something and tell all our friends and family. But but the, it didn't matter what we sold and it didn't matter how we sold it. The purpose of selling it was to do something else. And so it's actually really, in this way of working is actually really ingrained in a lot of whānau's lives already. And so when we came out, we started talking with a whole bunch of different people around if we were to establish a company that's easily to identify as Māori by Māori, it needs to be done, activities need to be done. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember doing stuff like this. This actually makes sense. And so all we've done is gone, there's an issue here, and a lot of our families suffer a lot of our families are energy deprived or they're living in power poverty and so we're probably going to need something more than hangi to solve that why don't we just sell power to do it so it's actually a an old school way of thinking around how to solve a social problem or an issue that we've just applied in 
And we just, we just thought, oh yeah, well we'll just register as a limited business. I don't know what it is, but that's that's what we're going to do. So, but that's just the vehicle, right? That's the, just the shell correct. that you you exist in. It's just, but but that that sort of obsession from the outside about what you are and and how you do it, it, it kind of it's kind of irrelevant, right? Mm. Whether you're a social enterprise, whether you're a business, whatever, it, it's it's at the core of what you're doing is traditional, but it's also deeply relevant for for the future of how how social good is done moving forward because there are you know there's so much critique on the charity sector on environment social and governance within the corporate sector but coming back to these core principles of using something in your case sort of electricity provision to fund a social good is is isn't it's traditional it's not sort of it's old school but it's really future focused as well it feels deeply relevant yeah because i mean like a lot of the people have come in and try to give us advice around marketing and all that kind of stuff love them to bits and they have some really cool stuff but at the end of the day we're kind of like if they are down for what we're trying to do then they'll come anyway like it's marketing is very what's in it for the customer what's the value what's the value proposition for the person well we don't care (laughs) we're kind of like like we, we care about the people that support us but the people that support us support us because they care about the issue yeah so your customer they're not cust- they're not even customers right you're, it's like they they're citizens right within this community that you're building correct it's if if you want to join join but if you don't that's there's 40 other power companies that you can join to you know scratch the itch you have but we just kind of there's there's an issue here that's lasted far too long and if you if you want to tackle it with us then come like it's so it, it starts to change the paradigm a little bit. It starts to shift the paradigm a little bit from what's in it for me or what can I take turns to, you know, what can I now give? And and, and again, it's like, like you're saying, it's traditional, it's old school. But you imagine we got an issue with getting funding for children to take care of their braces. All right, let's, let's sell toothbrushes let's, let's, to fund children now that can't afford to pay for braces beyond their teeth. You buy a toothbrush. And so if you care about the kid, kids getting braces on their teeth and all that kind of stuff you'll you'll buy the toothbrush it's less around what does a toothbrush have these sorts of bristles and so we're trying to shift our thinking away from you know that and and the and and then the benefit it has from you know that the fundraising perspective is sometimes fundraisers are painted with this brush that they're like the do-gooders they're not cool you know they're just kind of like the guy standing there with hivers and shaking a bucket sort of thing. So they kind of have an aura about them that people almost associate to like dirty salesmen. So that salesman. Yeah. So you like, you, I mean, I don't really know what I'm trying to say here, but there's just this feeling towards charities that charities and people that support them are like uber Christians Yeah. and they're a bit weird and they see the world differently in there. Yeah. But moving it into this more commercial space, it, it creates like this, there's coolness about it. Like it's, it's cool to support power poverty. It's cool to solve these issues, and, and it starts to steer people away. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling largely here, but no, you're absolutely right. It, it, but this is really important because, for, from where I'm standing, you know, I think the the idea that charities and and sort of churches and and all these organisations have the have the monopoly on doing good. It, it it's I think it's become it's sort of crumbling it feels that that's crumbling and and i think that this is this whole sort of citizenship shift 
And that actually, you don't need a charity. You don't need all of this stuff to do good. If you focus on the issues, if you find creative ways about getting funding, you know, you don't need to be shaking a bucket because the value proposition, as I see it, it is, is so much more genuine, authentic and powerful. They're not buying that, that sort of good feeling. They're actually supporting those people who are living in power poverty. And the, the fact that they're getting electricity is just part of it. That's not what they're buying. So I, I totally get it. I totally get it. It's, it's so complex, though. And it's really interesting, this sort of paradigm shift that you're trying mm. to achieve. Because it is cool. Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. Like, it just, yeah, just lifts the kind of perception that, you know, like, it's it's not, like, I've, I've worked with a few charities now, and they always want to play the sad sob kind of story, you know, which which I which I understand, you know, the, the struggling child and all that. Like, that stuff is real, and I know that's real because I was one of those children. Not 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 so far down, the, down that side, but, you know, I, I didn't have a lot growing up. And so I, I understand... A little bit what what that's like but it's almost like a guilt trip into yeah and, and at the same time it's like preaching to the choir because a lot of people know this stuff already that there's you know a lot of there's things that are happening in this world that you know that if they could they would change it sort of thing but that's where the the marketing juice is we feel is that you just go on and do what you're going to do anyway yeah but if you're going to consume something consume it to enable a social impact yeah absolutely you know it's, and, and how do you unlock that kind of yeah, sorry, more ramble. Carry on. <laughs> no, no, it's it, it's great. It's 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 really interesting. It's it's that, it, it, but it's it's shifting that that ethical consumption because that is fundamentally part of the global problem is consumption, and 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 leading and driving inequity, and so if in in many ways you're you're equipping people like me who consume electricity to do something with that consumption 100 100 percent. tell me about where where did this all so where did this all start where did the i you know tell me about your inspiration for this what what was the thing that sort of kicked this whole project and um uh, business off yeah there's 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 a few like it's it's kind of one of those like um heaps there's a lot of turning points in a movie that lead to the climax sort of thing and so there are a whole bunch of different turning points that that happened in both my life, Rob's life, and also Ben's life, which are which are the three founders. If we take Rob for example, he's a guy that's um, done a lot of magic in the industry. You know, original program director for Genesis Energy. You know, helped establish smart metering and Altero, all that kind of stuff. And then his wife says, every time you've touched the power industry, the price has gone up for, for vulnerable families. You've got to do something else. And so he's going through this kind of, you know, just I need to do something good in the power space. And then Ben on the other side, he go he has a, his wedding haka go viral. And um, then people are, you know, saying, oh, how much Māori are you? And like questioning his his um, his Māori tongue, which I thought was, you know, I still think is stupid, but that's just what he was going through. So he was going through this resurgence of wanting to reconnect with who he was and, and, and that side of him. And then on my side, you know, I had experiences in China and then, my, my Chinese teacher told me um, to, to speak um, te reo and I told her that I couldn't and that we actually spoke English in New Zealand. And then she said, well, you should probably go back home and learn about who you are before you come back over here and learn about being Chinese. And so I was like, oh, well, 
okay. And so I decided to come home and I had these feelings of that void that I spoke about that there was this cultural gap in my life that was missing. And so you got these three guys that don't know each other yet or have, or sorry, have met each other in passing. I went to school with Ben with different age groups. And so I didn't really hang out with him much more. His older brother, Rob, we played basketball together. And we had conversations about doing something together in the future. And so we had these kind of small touch points. And then it all made sense when we came together and we were around the table talking about power. And we both, we all agreed that there were 130,000 families in New Zealand living, you know, in energy, like energy deprived, who didn't have a lot to be able to keep their homes warm and dry and all those sorts of things. And then we all agreed that a lot of the energy assets that, that generated energy sat on whenua Māori, yet a lot of the 130,000 whānau were Māori. And so there are all these kind so, of so that so what the wind turbines the 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 power stations were on Maori owned land correct yes and so it it didn't really like it in in I I just learned recently that um, in the Waikato there's this saying here piko he tanifa here piko he tanifa every every corner there's a tanifa and then the a, a group in Huntley made a haka about the the power station that sits in Huntley. And in the haka, the words are, there's, there's a sentence and it says, he piko, he, he piko, he farehiko, which means every corner of power station along the, along the Waikato Awa, you know. And so there's all these things happening in our lives and all these things going on. And things that we started to discover that, okay, this isn't right. 130,000 people in Taupopi. We've got a guy here who every time he touches it, the power goes up. So let's try to drive it down for those people, for that market. How can we do that? Well, let's try a traditional sense. So all these things started happening. And then it all drove, it all came to a point when I spoke about, I had this conversation with my nan about wanting to start a power company. And she said to me, that's awesome, grandson, because now I won't have to pay for my power anymore. And I just started laughing. And for me, my nan was a huge part of my life because my parents had me at a young age. And so my nan was kind of the extra parent for me growing up. Um, and to be fair, it's the case for a lot of my whanau, for a lot of, so she was kind of the rock, the glue of, of our whanau. And so again, I started laughing at her comments, but she didn't laugh. And then I asked her, I was kind of intrigued as to, okay. And then she mentioned something that's kind of set no matter in motion. And that was, she said, sometimes I sit here cold and alone because I'm too scared to turn the heat pump on because I won't be able to afford the power bill. And so that 130,000 people was now personified by someone in my own family, by someone that I actually looked up to and still look up to. And so I almost felt that it was an obligation for us now to run into the burning house of poverty and grab that whānau out and drag them, you know, to, to where they need to be to live flourishing great lives. Because, I mean, people, it, power is just one thing in someone's life, but, but power is something that creates a home. It's something that, you know, if a child can go to school with from a warm, dry home without sickness, then they're already 10 steps ahead of the one they can't sort of thing. So it's hard to do homework when it's freezing and you can feel the cold sort of thing. And so to answer your question, us three founders had different experiences going on in our lives. We were learning different things. We come together and then it was all unlocked when that experience was personified by my own father sort of thing. So... It's a bit, it's it's a bit of a story. It's it's a novel actually, um, how it all kind of came to be. But it seems like it's meant to be. It's really powerful, though. It's 
it feels, and this is one of the things like when I first, when we first had that conversation, what was it, a year and a half or so ago, and what came through was just like the, the real sort of authenticity that this is coming from a place and, and pure place to want to do good. And where are you now? Where is Naumairar now in terms of impact and people supported and communities helped? Yeah. Where we at now, I mean, we've, we've got, we've raised with our small group of citizens or our whanau, we've raised about $200,000 into a fund that we're going to use to support families this winter. And we, we've got a bit of a strategy to, to go out there into the philanthropic sector and ask them to match the contributions of the families that have supported the Novara movement. Um, and we've already had two kopapa put their hand up and say, look, we'll, we'll match or get really close to what you have done. And it's starting to bring this really clear picture of the power of collective power around people working together without leaving their lane to support the social issue. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's something these yeah. that philanthropics, um, relieving poverty is something that philanthropics do anyway. And so getting them involved in the energy sector in this way makes sense to, to them as well as to us. And so that's kind of where we're, we're focused at the moment is just using our, our whānau to invite more whānau to come along with different skill sets and different access to different things to continue to address the issue. So at current, we're kind of sitting at about, yeah, six, 600,000 in, in the whānau fund. Um, and we, we, we want, yeah, we're, we're, with, with the support and using what we've raised to then. Amazing. And yeah, we're, we're hoping to have it, you know, up to a million by winter. I mean, it's all, everything we do is a bit of a stretch, but, you know, if we can keep on the vein that we're on, I think we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get there. And how many citizens, how many of your sort of the people you're providing electrical power to, how many are there now? There's about eight and a half thousand of us now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one because we kind of have to monitor our growth. Because if, if we wanted to, we could we could we could really scale, you know. But the, the issue with really scaling is we then lose our edge in terms of because then you start having to hire resources that focus too much on being a normal power company. Okay, you know, which the build gets. Cause we're just trying to control the build so we build in the right way to stay on track from the end goal that we started in. But we start hiring more and more people. You got to start hiring different people to manage those people. To then, it, it just becomes a normal power company if, if you get to a certain size, um, and a sort and and if your book isn't balanced at the same time, you know if you've got too many vulnerable consumers that you're supporting, then the puna or the, the fund decreases. So the so the impact that you want to create decreases. But then if you go, if your book is too much focused on people just chasing great pricing, then all of a sudden you're dealing with people who want to just talk about their bill every day. And, and so then the, the human resource needed is like explaining bill breakdowns. You know what I mean? So you kind of got to get, it's, it's it, the age old adage of it's quality over quantity sort of thing. So, But it's also culture. Correct. It's also about culture, right? It's, 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 it's like all of these little things, all of these little decisions just sort of diminish and challenge and make it more difficult to maintain the the core values of what you're trying to do as you grow yep yeah that's it that's it it's like a, a small little decision might not matter today but it could create like a huge break in the road if if we just get a little lackadaisical with the things that we do so 
but it's also about the people you bring in as well, right? Those choices are so important and, and where you get your advice and guidance from. How do you make those decisions and, and how will you, you, do you want to grow or is it just you're trying to be as organic as possible? But how, how do you choose those people and how do you make those decisions? Yeah, I mean, yes, we, we, we do want to grow, but we want to grow right and we want to grow alongside people. So it, it, in order, because the power industry is a, a multiplayer industry, you know, you, you got to buy the power, then you got to send the power and then, and then you retail the power and then you got to pay for the infrastructure. And so when we say we want to grow, we, we, we have to break down the silos that exist and go, let's rebuild this thing, but let's do it together and together come with a solution that we can then accelerate together. And so no Maira will, will serve no good if we just go out there and get 50,000 customers tomorrow. Because if we do that too soon, we start to look like a threat to other people. And we're not trying to be a threat. We shouldn't be competing over this market. We should be supporting this market. You can only support that market if you work together. And so it's, it's, it's kind of one of those tricky situations where we do want to grow, but doing it alone, it just isn't going to solve the problem that, that exists with energy hardship. Is there, is there openness? Are you, are you seeing, I don't know what it was like at the beginning. I imagine it, it, it seems like quite a massive threat setting up uh, now my uh, was it and, and has that changed? Is there more openness now to, to working in partnership? Yeah, the, the, the openness has definitely become more open as we've continued to show our, our value our values-led approach. Um, initially, it, and I could understand exactly where everyone was coming from. Like, oh, yeah, they're just using a Maori flag to fly into the industry and take over sort of thing. Um, and so we have to be really careful there. And then, oh, these guys are just social washing you know, a power company to just trick people into joining them and, and all that kind of stuff. So I could understand that they've probably seen every trick under the sun and they've been in the industry a lot longer than what we have. And so we just had to work with them, break down more slowly and then understand, have help them understand, you know, the change that we're actually trying to create, you know, explaining to them that our success is actually by losing customers rather than by obtaining them. You know, because if we can get them into a position where because in, in Māori, the, the ultimate thing is mana motuhake. It's being able to control your life and, and have choices. Choice is the ultimate. Unfortunately, a lot of the whānau that fall into that 130,000 bracket, they don't have choice in this industry. They have to go with providers who don't credit check. And as far as I know, there's not very many of those. And we're one of the leading ones in that space. And so if we can get a family from failing a credit check, to now receiving power in their own name, to then paying their bills on time every time. That then puts them in a position to then, when another power company knocks on the door and says, we want to give you $300 credit, they can say, yes, come in, I'll, I'll take it. You know, or, or allows them to participate in the market more freely. You know, it, it gives them choice. And so when we frame the conversation like that, all of a sudden, we become a complementary product to, you know, from a commercial perspective, to the commercial entities. Yeah. But access to access to finance, access to to being able to own your own house and you know borrow and all of that sort of side of that that's yeah so important yeah that's it's it's a manner enhancing way of of moving whānau from one position to another and we've just had to hold the line on that and trust that if we stick to it that the silos will start to break down and and they have and so now we've got contracts with majority of the the big power companies to support what we're trying to do. On the flip side, what we now need to do is 
is tackle the, the, the issue that big corporates have in the eyes of the people. So the people have always thought, oh, you've always backed the little guy. You know, New Zealand's, you know, big underdog fans, you know, and so yeah. they'll always look at the big power companies like, oh, they got something up their sleeves, they want to trick us and all that kind of stuff. And so there's this, there's this balancing act that comes with gaining support but not losing your edge by keeping them honest to what they're going to do rather than laying down and saying, yes, you support us now, so we're going to do everything you say. But those conversations are actively happening now, and we actually have really good relationships with them, both personal and in business, that we're just trying to mould to say this isn't about no Mara leading this anymore. It's not about you coming in and you taking over. It's about putting the whānau in charge and us falling behind them in the locker and paddling as fast or as slow as we need to to move them from powerless to a position of power. So it's... It's a, there's a few perspectives to change, but we're, we're doing well. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I, I can imagine some of those conversations were incredibly challenging with with these partners uh, in those early days, but also navigating them. You know, I'm 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 thinking that when you're engaging, just from a sort of fundraising perspective, the the opportunity from the corporate perspective to profile Naumaira as one of our partners must be. Is there a pressure there for them to you know share you know and and sort of use that partnership to to help their sales and marketing etc how 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 will you or would you or do you navigate that yeah i mean that's a great that's actually where we're at at the moment right is planning what the external comms looks like now that we're hand in hand with a lot of these you know guys that, that also sell the same product though it be in a different way we're, we're yeah we're working, trying to manage our way through that and that it doesn't get lost in the market because the worst thing is that they put it out that they're supporting No Mara, and then all their customers join No Mara. Because <laughs> then that, 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 that you know that then doesn't help them, you know. So it's yeah, that... and, and we wouldn't want that to necessarily happen. No, and so it is a, it is a tricky field to to walk in. Do, do they see the value of of that? Actually, some of their customers, probably a relatively small percentage do have this uh, most i don't i imagine don't care where their electrical power as long as, as soon as as long as they when they flick the switch it's on but there is this group of people these citizens who want this who who want to be having a social impact with their consumption and and have a deep commitment to this do they see the value of 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 bringing those people to Naumaira or, or is is that the space where you're collaborating in yeah it's um I, to, to be fair, I, I don't really know. I think that the more space that we're collaborating in is is gaining good wholesale pricing to support a sector of the market okay. that commercially, and, and I choose my words carefully, commercially no one wants. So yes, they care, which is something that I learned, is that no one in these big power companies wakes up in the morning and thinks, I'm going to screw people over today. Do you know that, that they're actually really good people? No. Um, but there's a group of customers, when you think about it, that don't use a lot of power, but then clog up your contact centers. And so you look at it from a commercial perspective, and they're not the most enticing people. You know, you, they don't use much, and they're costing you through your contact center. And so if we can support them, then I think there's alignment in terms of there's a sector of them, the section. And are those are those the people who are living in power poverty, that they that they're not able to to to, to cover their bills or the the direct debit bounces or you know whatever it is? What is is that part of the issue where they come together? Yeah, it is. It is a lot of the, a lot of and and to be fair, 
it's there's so much more that impacts that phone call that that causes them to pick up the phone and make that call unfortunately power companies don't always see everything that is behind the person that they're on the phone with and so the people that they're on the phone with need more in-depth support that a, a standard or just a normal standalone power company can't provide easily they can do it but it's it's not it's not easy to give them a food bank or to get them hooked up with the food bank to get them food you give them that food um, from say St Vincent to Paul's in Hamilton and now they don't have to pay for food they can now afford the power bill yeah. or you so so there's there's different things that you know they, they need more wraparound support than just okay how can we help you create a payment plan to support you and your farmer there's there's more issues that go in you know behind the farmer that call um, and then a lot of the farmer that do call are just genuinely worried that when they flip the switch like you mentioned the power won't go on and so it's it's kind of like we call it a no minor pptsd which is post power traumatic stress disorder and so a lot of people come to us mm-hmm. with this inherited fear of being disconnected and so, you, you know, a usual power company might get a phone call and say, hey, look, I just wanted to check out you know, your pricing and your deals and all that kind of stuff. What, what can you do for me? Oh, this is my address. What's the best package you can provide? Whereas someone that comes through yeah. who's had experiences with losing power will say, hey, oh, is, is there a fee for reconnection and disconnection? So it's a completely different conversation. They're not they're not talking about what what can you give me? They're just like, I just, I just need to turn the power on. Yeah. And, and if I can't afford it, are you going to charge me to get it reconnected? And then you're going to charge me when it's disconnected, you know. So that the conversations largely different, and, and and but we're really good at having those conversations. And so when working with these bigger companies, it's like compete over the people that call you saying, "Give me a good package." And where we come in is, and, and let us handle yeah. this other yeah. conversation. And what we'll do with that other conversation is create them into people that we can then push on to you. That then. So, so, so don't, yeah. don't spend, what we're trying to say is don't spend time and money in a space that you're not constitutionally driven to do. Like you are, you are not built to solve energy hardship. Mm-hmm. And so if you create more confusion and com- competition in that space, it actually does worse for, for you as an entity and also for the funner. It, it wastes more time. So it's almost like compete over the you and I's of the world and then allow us to create more you and us yeah. in, in in this particular space. I, I, sorry, I don't I don't mean to use the word you know us them you I sort of thing, but there's a no. But it's but it, in fact, I, I but I see it as the opposite. I see what you're doing has a deep respect for the whanau, for the families and communities who can't afford light and power. You're treating them with the same respect, and they're, they're equal citizens in this project with the people who are purchasing the electricity from you. Yep, that's one. And and giving them the bespoke support that they need. And so, because yeah, every power company tries to be as, as customised and bespoke as they can be, but they can't be in the sector where we're trying to service because they need more. So, how are you getting on with today's Te Reo Māori lesson? Here are a few words of Te Reo Māori. I apologise in advance for any poor pronunciation. Korero is a meeting or discussion. That's korero. Whānau, that is the extended family and community. Whānau. Marae, Māori Community Meeting House. That's a marae. Waka, 
A waka is a big Maori boat and a metaphor for working and being in something together. That's waka. Haka is the ceremonial Maori challenge, display of strength and unity, as performed at the beginning of every All Blacks rugby match. That's a haka. Hangi is a big community meal, traditionally cooked underground. That's a hangi. A tangi is a Maori festival of mourning someone who has died. That's tangi. Whakapapa is about understanding and respecting our origins and ancestors, who we are and where we have come from. That's whakapapa. Mana is our internal spiritual power. Social services here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, describe themselves as mana enhancing because they focus on empowerment and rebuilding self-confidence and esteem. So what are your, what are your links? You know, you talk about the wraparound services, um, food banks, um, etc. What, what are your connections and, and, and within that ecosystem? Yeah, we've, we've, we've got a few and, and they're kind of, like I, I mentioned St. Vincent de Paul's uh, here in Kirikiriroa, they're a partner of ours. And we have different partners just like them, not not just St. Vincent de Paul's. So if you think about going up north, you know, we can work with Ngāti Hene Health Trust, you know, Te Mōai down in, down in Porirua. And so that the entity that we partner in different areas differs, but their abilities are generally the same. They offer food bank, they offer healthy homes checks, they offer um, financial guidance and budgeting planning and, and different things like that. And so depending on where the whānau sits or lives, will depend on the support that's most easily and readily available to them. So we take, for example, Jonathan calls in and he can't afford to pay for his power bill. Our, our aunties will first ask, you know, how are you? Like, what's what's going on? And, you know, what, what areas of, of life do you need support in? And just have a conversation with them. And through that conversation, no set, no real set questions, they'll start to open up and share about what's going on. And then at the end of the call, we might ring, okay, we're going to call Mike down at St. Vincent de Paul's and he's going to give you a food parcel for X amount of days and all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to contact Carol from, from down there as well, who who we want you to go and see to talk about money, where it sits, how it sits, where you should put it, just to make sure that you you have the right behaviours in place and habits in place to be able to get you and your whanau out of this position of paycheck to paycheck sort of thing. And then we might say, look, there's we might give you 50% off your power bill and just use the whānau fund to cover it. But we only do we only use the whānau fund to incentivise them to do the other two things we told them to do or ask them to do. So it's, it, it then becomes a partnership. It then becomes an incentive to change behaviour rather than a handout that perpetuates dependency. And it becomes a, a real strong bond sort of thing. So the links that we have in community differ very um, depending on where the family sit, but we'll basically use what's local to them to get them to change their behaviour so that we can give them the support that they, they need. And so hence our ability to have those kind of conversations different from a normal what a normal power company could or would provide. You're not really a power company at all, though, are you? Yeah, you do. Yeah, that's... <laughs> power, power, power is, it feels like such a, a, a small easy and, and it's you know it, it's not easy but it's such an easy perspective from the people who are purchasing it just it, it feels like kind of incidental to the core mm. of why you exist 
you could have been selling toothbrushes, right? You could have. Correct. It, it's <laughs> it, it's the social change and the support that you're providing to 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 communities is is at the heart of this. Yes, it, that, and and that's when you were talking earlier about what's a co-op Māori business. What's a so, so if we if we loop that loop it back there to us, everyone else can define us as you please, but we we we're just doing what we're trying to do. Like that's. We'll just, yep, we can be that. We'll, we'll be that today, you know. If you've got funding, we'll be whatever you want us to be. <laughs> um. <laughs> but you won't, though, will you? Because your, your principles and, and your values, and I think this is the really exciting thing, I think, that, that that's often misunderstood, is that is that you won't. You are who you are. Like, you don't care. Like, if your customers will come along, funders will come along, because if you stick to your core of what you're doing, your values, your purpose... They will come, and it's not only that. It's sort of a what the amazing thing is when you when your soul values and purpose centered, is that acts like a screen, like a filter, for all of those organisations and people and funders etc. and influencers and and whoever they are. It acts as a sort of filter, so only the ones who are really committed to your same values, who share your worldview, are the ones who you who who approach you and want to be involved. Do you find that? Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've got a really cool. I can't use names, but just experience that. Like just to put that and put your thought, uh, your your words in motion. There, we went for some. We we used the Fano fund. And we told Fano that we had already kind of sussed out that we thought, look, their values. If they mean what they're saying, then they'll support this. And so we put it out to them, and we said, our Fano have raised this much money. Will you match it? They came back to us and said, give us something to look at. I, I literally wrote Fano Fund, so F U N T. I, I got I spelt it all wrong, I, I was, and I, and there was it was riddled with all these spelling mistakes. Super draft, like it was it was a draft to a draft. It's terrible. My my grammar's terrible, and I just said, hey, look, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time writing a professional draft or just getting things all nice and pretty for you, only for you to come back to me and say, no, we're not going to do it, and so. You should be able to decipher <laughs> what I'm trying to say in in this one page. <laughs> Have a look at it, yeah, and then let me know your thoughts. And if I'm on the right page, then we'll then we'll start tweaking it and getting it looking nice to be presented and all that stuff. But I just said, look, I've, yeah. I've spent I've spent three years of this in my head, but ten minutes on a piece of paper saying this is how we're going to do it. They came back a little while later and said, hey, look, we're going to give you couple of hundred thousand for this winter and then another couple of hundred thousand for next winter and and i was like that's a awesome what did we agree on <laughs> it was it was just kind of but to, to what you what you what you mentioned you know it wasn't this oh where is the money going where is the i mean that we're working through that now just to make sure that uh, the reporting that we send back to them is clear from our perspective but they pretty much sent us like a a blank, not a blank check because it had an amount on it, but a blank reporting schedule and just said, put down whatever you want Great. and make it make sense to us. But there was this trust that we weren't just going to go, here, thank you. Yeah. Uh, we're just going to use it for Burger King on Thursday and KFC on Friday. Like We, we, we put some, some thoughts into it and we're working through them now, but it was that attitude of we're just going to keep doing what we're doing and we're going to do it ourselves. We've got $200,000 of our own money. And so if you're going to support us, the show is going to go on. But with your help, if you did want to jump on, we could double the impact. 
And if that's something you want to be a part of, then. And, you know, they even mentioned, look, let's just do a Facebook post together. Yeah. And that's it. We don't want, we, we want to get in your way. And I was like, man, that's, so it's that kind of mentality is, is attracting people that, you know, are backing our cause. You mentioned trust there as well. You know, this is something I think the theme that comes into every single conversation I have about fundraising and and authenticity because you have the trust of of the community and you you the values that you're living and showing build trust and that is such a fantastic example of of, of how but also your partnerships with the with the other power firms right it, it, you're building trust. And it's so core to, to who you are as an organization. And the fact that you can send an email with <laughs> grammatical spelling errors uh, and, and, and it just, but it just proves that that stuff isn't the stuff that matters, right? It's not the shiny proposals. It's not the beautiful tailored reports. It's not the spell checked. It's the work. It's the values. It's the impact that really matters. Yep. One hundred percent, and but that's what and, and the fact that I don't say yeah we'll give you hundreds of thousands of dollars, not just this year but next year. How how did you feel when you got that response? What was your sort of immediate response? Well, I actually remember we're driving up the road, and they gave us a call, and I was like, oh shucks, what's this about? And so I put it on speaker, me and Ben are in the car, and then they said, hey, look, mate, just wanted to let you know that we're all good to go, and 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 I didn't know what that meant. Because I was expecting this, like, um, <laughs> congratulations, guys. We just want to inform you that, yeah. But it's just like, hey, mate, like, yeah, we've just written a piece of paper and we're all good to go. And I was like, what What does that mean? And I said, oh, well, the paper you sent through with all the gram- grammatical errors and all that kind of stuff, we're, we're keen to support. And then me and Ben just looked at each other and we're like, let's go, like just just like yelling in the car, like, like punching the roof and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Because it was kind of like the first domino, you know. It was kind of like just like – yeah, understanding that we were, we're we're school dropouts. We didn't do well at all. You know, I'd say we go to school to have our lunch, but we didn't have lunch either. <laughs> so, so, so we we're kind of two guys that were misfits growing up. The ones that people said would never do anything good and all that kind of stuff, literally multiple times. And so to now move into like a power space, and then now move into a philanthropic space and do things that, like you talked about authenticity, we never had to change who we were. To, to do what we were doing. Mm. We never had to wear different clothes. We never had to talk differently. We could always just, we could just be ourselves and, and obviously learn and progress and get better as human beings. But essentially we, we, we were true to Ez and Ben and Rob. And so when when that call came through, it was kind of one of those other moments where I was like, holy crap, you know, we've, we've, we're either really good or really, really good lies. You know, it's, it's, it was kind of one of those situations because we're actually driving past our our old high school at the time because I lived by the old high school and we're just looking at it like man who would have thought we're just two little moldy boys driving in the car going this is can't wait to tell the auntie so it's kind of that kind of a whole lot of emotions in one moment but then Ben Ben's always good because he's like okay now it's time to get back to work you know so we we celebrated hard for like five minutes and then we're back into now okay what's next sort of thing so that's amazing, and that that moment of celebration, and that sort of that that high, and then the feeling all of a sudden is just like, 
wow, what does this mean now in terms of what else we have to do? Um, and it's incredible. You know, I think you're, you're such a fantastic example of someone who, who, who's built something from, from scratch, something that's making such an amazing impact and, and the authenticity. And, and I love that what you said about you're still exactly the same person and you haven't had to change. And, and there's, there's such pressure, I feel like, in sort of industrial fundraising and the nonprofit, the social enterprise, whatever space you label it, there's an external pressure to to be a certain way and to and and to to, to you know to cross every T, dot every I and be sort of shiny and and it's just it's just really refreshing to hear that you've built something so phenomenal, so impactful, so inspiring and and that you're exactly the same person as you always work mm. yeah it's, it's easy for us because it's hard for us to do the other stuff <laughs> like the spell check and all that stuff so we 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 kind of had no other options <laughs> and we just kind of i mean now chat gpt's out we can just get it to edit all our stuff but <laughs> you know it's kind of yeah easier for us to just get on with what we're and, and we've never really been people that ask for things and so that's that's probably always been a you know, if you say you're going to give me twenty dollars, I'll come. We'll come way along. You know, it's not. It's not something. It's not something that we can. Okay. Do easily. Just receive something for, for nothing, or, or even ask for things. And so, what what's behind that? What um, I don't know. I think it's just the way. It, is that is that your is that is that parents? Is that sort of cultural? Is that sort of just values? Is what, what's behind that? I, I think it's pro- it's probably parents and 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 culture. I'd say. Like and I've I've had I've got multiple deep memories of people coming and staying at our house, and my parents just giving up the the best room for them, or the best blankets. You know that they've always treated our manuhiri or our guest almost as gods. You know, it's, and it's not out of wanting anything. It's just oh, these people are coming over. You kids better behave. You know, I don't want any cheek out here. So there's there's that level, but then there's also. You know that the bed was always nice, and they always had the room extra warm. And and then the, when the family would then, if they stayed for an extended amount of time, I've seen the family give my parents money, and then for my parents to put the money in an envelope and then throw it under the seat in their car, and then wait for them to get to wherever they're going and say, "Hey, look, I appreciate the gesture, but no, thank you. The money's under the car." So, I've, and I've I've seen it happen like many many times. And and Ben comes from a similar upbringing, and 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 Rob the same. You know, we we didn't ha- our parents never had much at all, but there was but they had love, and they made sure they gave that in spades. And so going out, it's really difficult to ask for probably money more than anything. Like it's it's easier for us to ask for support, like come help us out, bro. Like grab a shovel and let's get into it. You know, but like that little Kiwi ad, you know, give us a hand with a job sad day. I don't know if you've seen that one, like. Then the little cute boy gets, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll come around. And so we've kind of grown up in that mentality that, oh, we'll just all have a feed and get stuck in. And But, you know, asking people for money and asking people to support us in, in that particular way it is a foreign, probably because money wasn't abound in our lives. It, it just kind of wasn't. Yeah. We never spoke about it, never, never really talked about it at all. We kind of just used each other and what we had to – make ends meet and to do the things we need to do to solve any issues or problems we had and so a lot of it's probably come from there and it's now probably turned into our biggest strength because we don't really ask for or if we do ask we've already done 90 percent of the work 
and so we just thought, oh, we, we've got a bit of a short for you. Can you can you help us out and all that kind of stuff? And it's just a case of just just writing it up and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and firing I mean, the, email. the other ones that we're working with at the moment haven't been that simple, but you know, in terms of effort, you know, we okay. No, if we you've got to have more than two meetings with them, we're kind of like, oh, no, you're probably probably not keen. So we're just going to use what we have, and then yeah, but but that's 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 another interesting idea. The fact that you know, that, like screening people, you know, if if it's too much effort, it's like then that you probably if you don't see us for who we are, if you don't accept for who we are and what we're trying to do, if you're not in this with us, if you don't share our worldview, you're probably not mm. a good investment of yeah. our time. Because it. Th- I mean, they'll give us a not yet. I mean, we never really take no as a no. It's more like, okay, it's not ready. And so there's a there's a bunch of objections that come before them saying the words, we don't have funding available or, you know, it's just not going to work out and all that kind of stuff. And so we've had heaps of experiences where we've basically come back as looking different. For example, there were people that didn't support us. And then as, as at Orpu, we won Young New Zealand Rob of the Year. And then all of a sudden, they want to be best friends. <laughs> So it's it, it it was kind of oh okay well sure that, I mean what do what do you want to do you know and then and then now the the ball was in our court and so it's kind of so that's that's how that's where our attitude yeah. comes from so like, we'll ask once we're not going to beg you and if you if you don't see value in it all good no it's a not yet somewhere else down the journey you'll be like oh this this place will be aligned now so let's talk now that's super generous of you though because then all these people sort of come to you and sort of. But but I guess you know, ready ready. Maybe they've gone that part of the journey to start walking alongside you. And what 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 impact did sort of winning New, Young New Zealander of the Year last year have on on you and Naomara? I think it, it was probably just the exposure, really. Like it really got us out there. Like people started taking us a little bit more seriously, which I never really quite understood. <laughs> um, but. You know, funny experience. We when we when we won, I stood there and I asked how much money we got, and they they were like, "Oh, it's it's not about that." And I was like, "Well, it is to me." Like, and I'm okay saying that. Like, you know, we've we've got a business to run, we've got a co-op to support, we've got people to support. Like, thank you, thank you doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> you know, pats on. You know, I can pay you and pats on the back. How many you need? Because I got thousands. <laughs> so it's kind of, and then we got into this little tussle around them saying on because i was like well how much do you get paid and then they're like oh well this is my job and i was like well this is my job you know so then i mean you know what shouldn't the recognition go to you for being the guy that did all the advertising for the young for the kiwi bank new zealander of the year awards like you can put that on your cv and that looks good we don't have a cv <laughs> so what i mean yeah so, I mean, yes, it did help, but the more the exposure to to increase our credibility, because then we, we got on TV and, you know, got in, got into the press and all that kind of stuff, you know, and, and, and getting going on TV and all that stuff helps with other skills. And I'm probably more grateful for the skills you learn about how to get on TV, how to present yourself, how to, how to prepare for media, all that kind of stuff over the actual sitting on the couch on the breakfast show, because there's that, 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 yeah. that, yeah. that personal development probably did more for us than than anything else so and then on me personally like i think it just got me out of dishes for a week or something <laughs> yeah, that, every, every time all sorts of upsides yeah every time you know, i go to the shop and they give me the price and i'd say do you, do you know who i am you know 
<laughs> and, and just, I, I never got someone who said, yes, I do. You know? <laughs> yeah. no. So I was like, oh, no, sorry. Brilliant. I don't know who you are. And, you know, my friends would call me and then I'd answer the phone like, kia ora, you're speaking the Young New Zealander of the Year. And and just like, oh, we, we just had fun with it, really. We, we, we probably could have done more with it, you know, just promoted it a bit more to get more credibility and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, we, we always we always said from the start that we'll, we'll be known for our actions rather than you know all the yeah. But exactly, and this is this is the thing. What is credibility, right? Credibility isn't you know isn't the media stuff. It's the credibility comes from what you're doing and who you are, rather than what you know you're being on the couch or um, or doing an interview. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So because in the media kind of plays off what they want to put out anyway. So. And we learned that quickly. <laughs> yeah. Ez, thank you so much for your time today, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to catch up with you again. No, all good. It's, it's been good to catch up with you too. Massively appreciate this. And thanks. And, and just inspiring to hear the amazing work you're doing and, and just where it comes from. I think that's a, a lesson that everyone can take from this session. I hope you enjoyed meeting Ezra today and that our conversation has made you think differently about how social impact is evolving and who can make a difference. Ez and now Myra aren't just disrupting the energy sector here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. They're creating a new model of social impact that is founded in values and thoughtfully balances business and financial sustainability with deep social impact. They're also building a carefully balanced community and shifting people from being one-dimensional customers to becoming engaged citizens, leveraging their energy consumption to make a social difference. There are lessons here in how we approach this shift from customer to citizen with our own communities of donors and partners. This conversation is also about finding the spaces for collaboration where incentives and motivations overlap. If we can understand what motivates individuals and groups to action, then we can leverage commercial products and behaviours. And that means we can build organic movements, nurture and grow social impact, and we can transform customers into citizens. And then, together, we make systemic change possible. For me, there's something powerful about the equity and respect within the now Myra community, these citizens, whether they're living in power poverty or they're purchasing power. They're all part of the extended community, the, the whanau of now Myra. But this isn't just about patiently and thoughtfully solving power poverty in partnership with others. It's about shifting how we think about community and how we engage and mobilize citizens within our society to deliver and achieve equity. Now, all of this takes deep confidence, the sort of resilient confidence that can only root and grow in the most powerful places, those places where our causes overlap with our convictions. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Fundraising Radicals podcast, and that this conversation has challenged informed and maybe even inspired you and your fundraising leadership practice. Please do check out the show notes, subscribe to the podcast on the platform of your choice and do visit fundraisingradicals.com to find out all the ways in which we're working to empower equip
equip and engage fundraisers all over the world.